Verse 18 of John chapter 13, Jesus speaking, remember, they're in the upper room. It's the night before he is to be crucified. He says, I do not speak concerning all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. Now I tell you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe that I am he. Most surely I say to you, he who receives whomever I send receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. When Jesus had said these things, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Most surely I say to you, one of you will betray me. Then the disciples looked at one another, perplexed about whom he spoke. Now there was a there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Simon Peter therefore motioned to him to ask who it was whom he spoke. Then leaning back on Jesus' breast, he said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is he to whom I shall give a piece of bread when I have dipped it. And having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Now after the piece of bread, Satan entered him. Then Jesus said to him, What you do, do quickly. But no one at the table knew for what reason he said this to him. For some thought because Judas had the money box that Jesus had said to him, buy those things which we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. Having received the piece of bread, he went out immediately, and it was night. Chapter 13 is a chapter of contrast, chapter of contrast that we would do well to examine, to look at, and to consider, even in our own lives, to the degree that as we're, assume most of us are born-again believers here tonight, that we would see how these things play out. Now, we saw right at the beginning of chapter 13, verses 1 and 2, there's the main contrast right there. First of all, there are those who are the Lord's own. Now, we know these to be the 12 apostles, but he's not just speaking to the 12 apostles, as this has included the word of God. He's speaking to the church age. It says in verse 1, Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from the world to the Father, Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now keep in mind what that means, he loved them to the end. He just didn't have a fond affection to them for the end. He didn't even have a, well, he did have this passion, but it's not so much about the passion of love as we recognize love. The idea is, what was the love of God? The love of God was Christ upon the cross. And really what he's speaking of here, he's speaking of the love that the Lord has for mankind, that he would go to that cross. And so as he was going to that cross, we're going to see, although his heart was troubled, he had that spirit of love about him because Christ knew for whom he was dying for. Now, there's no doubt he was dying for all of mankind, but he was specifically dying for those who would believe. And so as we see here, he loved those, he loved them to the end. That speaks of me and you as well. That speaks of the totality of the love that Christ had, that it would have an effect on those there that day, all of those in that world who would believe during that time, and even throughout the ages. And so that's really speaking volumes in that first verse. But then there are those who are of the devil, those who are of the deceiver, verse 2. And supper being ended, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son to betray him. So we see the Lord's heart for mankind that he would love them all the way to the point of death speaks of the sacrificial aspect of love. But here we know the heart of Judas. It was selfish. 
it was for himself. Those who are of the devil, what do they do? They betray the love of God. Betray the love of God. The love of God has been shown to them, displayed to them, but they count it as nothing and they do damage to the love of God, at least in their lives. Those of Jesus, well, we saw the example in the following verses, they serve him based upon his service for them. Then there are those who are of the Lord, and they're the ones who are clean in the Lord's sight. Looking over at verse 10, Jesus said to him, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean. Well, we've been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ, by the sacrificial death of Christ upon the cross, as we have received of salvation by grace through faith. And because of that, although we'll need a periodic washing up, we are seen in the sight of God as being completely clean. But then there's the contrast, those of the devil. Those are those who are unclean in the sight of God. Now, unclean in the sight of God, at one point we were all unclean in the sight of God, but God knew our end. But Judas, he's called the son of perdition. What does perdition mean? Perdition means waste. We'll get into that in a little bit. But God knew the end of Judas, and he was somebody who is unclean in God's sight. If you look over at verse 11, you see the contrast. For he knew who would betray him, therefore he said, you are not all clean. There's Old Testament precedent here that shows us what is going on in at least this portion of chapter 13, but really it's a thread that goes throughout the whole chapter. Those who, well, those deceived. Those deceived, well, they follow along. We've looked at this before, Isaiah 14, 14. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High making a boastful statement of what that person will do in the sight of God. Then there's the contrast, the contrast that we see in the Lord that we should see in our lives as well. Philippians 2.8, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. So the devil's saying how he is going to exalt himself, but what did Christ do? Christ came and he humbled himself. And it's the example that we are to follow. If I seek to exalt myself in the body of Christ, I'm going to be humbled. But if I humble myself, then I'm going to be lifted up. And, I mean, it only goes to pass that who's going to lift you up? God will lift you up. You'll be exalted in the eyes of the Lord as we humble ourselves. And we just saw the example, verses 3 through 5. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper, laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself, and after that he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel of which he was girded. Have you done any foot washing as of late? Foot washing doesn't mean as far as cleaning feet, but just to follow that pattern, to humble yourself, and to do something which is beneficial, spiritually beneficial to somebody else. That's the ultimate, in my mindset, and I think I can give scriptural scriptural basis to this, that's the ultimate in Christian maturity. The person who is completely mature, completely content in the Lord Jesus Christ, he has no problem in humbling himself, because it's not about how he needs to be exalted in the eyes of mankind. 
Matter of fact, he does so with all security, understanding that if he humbles himself, then he's exalted in the eyes of the Lord. And we don't have to do that. And again, look at our lives apart from Christ, maybe even in Christ, how we've time and time again tried to exalt ourselves. And if we're real honest with ourselves, it was really to our detriment. We also see that there are consequences. We see the, the, the contrast in the consequences for the things that we believe and the thoughts that we have. Again, those deceived, Isaiah 14, 15 this time, you shall be brought down to Sheol, or the abode of the dead, to the lowest depths of the pit. To those who are saved, we see the example in Christ again, Philippians chapter 2, verse 9, therefore God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. Now, you're not going to ascend to the degree or the level that Christ did, but nonetheless, if you humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, then he's going to exalt you. He's going to lift you up. And so, the choice is yours. Christ gives the choice, verse 17. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. And so, there's where the whole rub is. We know those things. How many times have you read John chapter 13? I mean, just do the math in your own head. How many times have you read John chapter 13? Matter of fact, as I was reading these scriptures, I'm sure they were very familiar scriptures to the vast majority of them. You, of you, you know these things. Are you doing them? Are you doing them? Because in the body of Christ, when we see foot washing opportunities and we don't take it, more than likely it's because we've exalted ourselves. When you see foot washing opportunities and you point it out to somebody else, you've probably exalted yourself over the person that needs his feet washed and the person who you volunteered to wash the feet. And so we've got to consider these things. And foot washing, once again, it's whatever is necessary, the ministry to the saints. And as we're seeing these things, as we're walking these things out, blessed am I if I do them. And so a lot of us, we know these things, but we're wondering, how come I'm never blessed in my Christian life? How can I just never, and we're not talking money, and we're not talking all the stuff that's gone all out of whack. We're just talking about contentment in your Christian life. How come I'm never really content in my Christian life? Possibly could be you're calling him Lord, Lord, and not doing the things that he said. And Jesus had some pretty strong words for those people that did so. So if you want to be blessed in your Christian life, you need to know this, but then you need to do this. And it's in the doing of this that the blessings come. Now, it's in the just knowing of this that conviction comes, accountability comes, but responsibility comes. Because if you know it, you are responsible to do it. And one other thing, and I've seen this too, people who get to know it, get excited about it and do it, but then after the years, they kind of push it away and they kind of move past that. It's to continuously do these things. But if you continuously do these things, God will continually bless you because of it. So again, contrast in your choice. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. But then on the other end of the stick, Matthew 26, verse 24 the Son of Man indeed goes just as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. So the contrast we're seeing here is, hey, I mean, if God says it would have been better for you if you were never born, 
That's a pretty strong statement. That's a very strong statement. But I need to see, as strong as that is, verse 17, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. If you leave here tonight with nothing else, remember John chapter 13, verse 17, and set your heart to doing that. Examine your life, see how that fits in your life, and live your life to the fullest in Christ based upon what is being said there. We're not doing it really just for the blessings. We're doing it because of he who loved us first. That We are now able to love him, and as we love him, we do his commandments. Now, using Judas as proof of who Jesus is, I'll explain what I mean. The Apostle John is going to draw on an Old Testament connection to a New Testament reality. Judas has been prophesied. Now, Judas is prophesied, um, his betrayal and just everything that he has done. We see through that prophecy the reality of who Christ is. Judas could have betrayed anybody, I mean, figuratively, but he betrayed Jesus Christ. Why? Because Jesus Christ is the fulfillment. Judas is being used in the fulfillment of the scriptures. So again, it's the night before the Lord's death. Jesus is given final instructions of those who will see him upon the cross. Now, as he's giving final instructions, we know he's giving final instructions to the 11. The 12 is going to betray him. But he's also giving final instructions, these instructions to, again, those in the future, those in the church age. Now, keep it in mind, what is John's quest that we saw at the beginning of the Gospel of John is to display Jesus Christ as Messiah and Jesus Christ as God. It's the reason that John wrote this Gospel. In order to prove his point, he's going to take the Old Testament prophecies and show us, not all of them, but he's going to show us how Jesus fulfilled Old Testament prophecies. He's going to take his miracles, and we'll see how his miracles point to Jesus Christ as being Messiah, as Jesus Christ being God. He's going to take his death, as it was prophesied that Jesus Christ would die upon the cross, and show us that that's what happened. The resurrection, he's going to show the proof of, resur- of the resurrection, the ascension, and then the sending of the Holy Spirit. All of these things had to be played out in and through the life and the death of Jesus Christ, really the life, the death, and the new life, of the Lord Jesus Christ in order for him to be the promised Messiah based upon God's description of Messiah and God himself. So, it is in verses 18 through 20 that we are presented with another Old Testament proof. I do not speak concerning all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but that the scriptures may be fulfilled. Now, Jesus said this, But John has chosen to record it because it fulfills his purpose. He who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. Jesus goes on to say, Now I tell you before it comes, that when it does come to pass, here's the purpose of all of this, I tell you before it's going to happen, because Judas is still sitting there with him, that when it does come to pass, you may believe that I am he. And he's saying, I am the Messiah. Most surely I say to you, he who receives whomever I send receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. So, it's the Lord's intent that one day, one day after his crucifixion, one day after his resurrection and ascension, they would look back on this event and they would understand what was going on. Man, there's a lot of angels getting their wings here tonight. 
for some reason that was just on the forefront of my mind. So again, we know he's talking to the 11 because number 12 is not going to be around so long. So he's saying there's going to be one day when you look back, you remember, you're going to be sitting around and you're going to remember this one event and you're going to understand really all that this meant. And we see that this did occur in Acts chapter, I see Acts chapter 2, it might be on the board as Acts chapter 2, but it's Acts chapter 1 actually, verse 15. It says, in those days, now this is before the sending of the Holy Spirit, the Lord Jesus Christ has ascended to heaven. In those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples. Altogether, the number of the names was about 120. So it was 120 people who were gathered in that upper room. Men and brethren, this scripture had to be fulfilled. So what we're seeing here is, and even before being filled with the Holy Spirit, Peter's finally getting it. He's getting it. This scripture had to be fulfilled because what they're trying to do here is they're trying to make sense of the death of the Lord and also Judas. And, you know, what, what happened with Judas? Why did Judas go upside down? Men and brethren, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke before by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered with us and obtained a part in the ministry. Now this man purchased a field with the wages of iniquity, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all of his entrails gushed out. Not a very pretty picture, but one that probably that grotesque picture is lent towards in order to get our attention to what happened. And so again, verse 19 Now I tell you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe that I am he. So he's, again, not just speaking to the 11, but he's also speaking to those on January 12, 2017 at Calvary Chapel, Ontario, that Jesus spoke of these things beforehand and they came to pass. There had to be a Judas or some sort or some type of Judas. So what specifically are we being told here? Well, (laughs) Judas... Judas is the fulfillment of Psalm 41. Before, we're told of this before, so that after we would be able to receive of what is spoken of there in verse 20 in John chapter 13. So we have a God who speaks to us of the things that are going to happen, so as they do happen, we know that he is God. And so Jesus is speaking of these things, He is the word. He understands the word. He knows the word. He knew what David was speaking of so that when Judas did betray him, that we would know that Jesus was sent by God and going to God. Isaiah 48 verse 3 says, I have declared the former things from the beginning. They went forth from my mouth and I caused them to hear it. Suddenly I did them and they came to pass. What we see here is is an Old Testament prophecy has now become, or is in the process of becoming, a New Testament reality. So we've got to look over at Psalm 41, verses 7 through 9. Now, what is being described here is, most scholars agree, and I believe it as well, is Ahithophel. Ahithophel was a companion of King David. He was a trusted advisor. And if you know the story of King David's life, there was a certain period of time where his son Absalom decided that he wanted to be ruler over the kingdom. And what he did is he stood at the city gate or in the courtyard. He was given favorable decisions to the people. And he was drawing the hearts of the people unto himself. 
Well, after a period of time, he drew enough people to himself, he was able to raise up an army, and his father was expelled from the kingdom. He went out on the run. Well, this man Ahithophel, now keep in mind, Ahithophel, more than likely, matter of fact, it's a little bit more than more than likely, he's the grandfather of Bathsheba, David's wife. He probably wasn't too happy in the Uriah the Hittite Bathsheba thing and the mess that David caused. So he's got an issue with King David. And so when everybody leaves, he stays. And he goes over to the enemy. And he's now become a trusted advisor of Absalom. And so David, writing about what has gone on, said in Psalm 41, verses 7 through 9, All who hate me whisper together against me. Against me they devise my hurt. An evil disease, they say, clings to him. And now that he lies down, he will rise up no more. Even my own familiar friend in whom I have trusted. Have you ever been stabbed in the back by a familiar friend? Somebody, I mean, yeah, I mean, we all have to some sort of degree. Somebody you just have trusted and you never expected and it just came completely out of left field and you just feel so betrayed very frustrated even my own familiar friend in whom i've trusted who ate my bread has lifted up his heel against me you can look at that you can say pastor mike that's that's pretty vague well there's some things that really lend weight towards this who ate my bread if you go back to john 13 and look at verse 26 jesus answered it is he to whom i shall give a piece of bread when i have dipped it and again, what the Lord's doing, he's not just giving him a piece of it. He could have just said, it's that guy. But instead, he did that. Why? Because he's in the process of fulfilling scriptures. So that when we look back doing a Bible study, we see how all of this works together. And so there's message, reason, and purpose to what he's doing. A couple more considerations. Who is King David writing about again in verse 41? Well, it very well seems to be Ahithophel. In 2 Samuel chapter 15, verse 12, then Absalom sent for Ahithophel, the Gilonite, David's counselor from his city, from Gilo, while he offered sacrifices, and the conspiracy grew for the people with Absalom continued to increase in number. And so he's a man who wants to be on the winning team. We're talking again about Ahithophel. He's seen an opportunity for himself probably advanced more or as far as he was going to advance in in David's kingdom. Now he's got an opportunity in uh, Absalom's kingdom, or either that or he just sees David's kingdom going away and he doesn't want to lose his position. So he goes over to the enemy's side. Now, what happened to this man who betrayed King David? Well, he gives his his advice to, to Absalom. But the problem is Absalom had other advisors and he took their advice and he didn't take He didn't take Ahithophel's advice. Well, now all of a sudden, Ahithophel is vulnerable. He's of no use to the current king. He can't go over to the past king. Now what is he going to do? Ahithophel, you tried to manipulate a situation for your own glory. Remember what we read in Isaiah chapter 14? I will lift myself up. Well, that's what he's doing. He's trying to lift himself up. But do you remember chapter 14, verse 15? No, you're going to go down to Sheol. And that's exactly what's happening. He's realizing now now he's become a man with no hope. He has no hope in the past kingdom. He's thrown that away. He has no hope in the future kingdom. They didn't listen to his advice. Well, that's the same thing that happened with Judas. Judas was trying to manipulate a situation. 
He really believed that Jesus was going to establish a kingdom. He didn't have a clue what that meant. But he thought by betraying the Lord, he would be able to cause that kingdom to come into existence sooner, or at least according to his own timetable. And just think of this. Now, we know, we just saw it here at the end of the verses I read at the beginning, that this guy's the treasurer. Now, if you're the treasurer of 12 people, you've got some money there. But if you're the treasurer of the kingdom, then you've got quite a bit of money. Well, he was already pilfering the purse back here with just the 12. How much more so if I'm the treasurer of this whole kingdom? And so what is Judas trying to do? He's trying to lift himself up. But what's going to happen? He's going to go down to Sheol. Now we're told in 2 Samuel, there's another parallel here that we just need to make note of. In 2 Samuel chapter 17, verse 23, now when Ahithophel saw this advice was not followed, when he realizes everything's falling apart, he saddled the donkey and arose and went home to his house, to his city. Then he put his household in order and hanged himself and died and was buried in his father's tomb. <clears throat> so... We've got another parallel because we know, well, it says Judas fell on the rocks and his bowels burst open. But how did he get in that predicament? Matthew 27, 5. Then he threw down the pieces of silver in the temple because he realized there's no hope in any of this and departed and went and hanged himself. And so what we see is an Old Testament picture being fulfilled in the New Testament. There's this man, he hangs himself, if you remember Saddam Hussein, they, they hung him. What happened? He, he got decapitated and I would imagine kind of made a splat when he fell. Well, that's exactly the same thing that happened with Judas. He fell, went splat, and unfortunately fulfilled the scriptures in such a way that nobody would want to fulfill the scriptures. But it's not about him fulfilling the scriptures. It's about his part. We see because of his relationship with Christ, that these scriptures are being fulfilled. Again, Judas, he's going to be, well, his name reverberates throughout the ages because of what he has done. But nonetheless, we see who Jesus Christ is and we see how the Old Testament scriptures point at the reality of who he is. Again, verse 19, Now I tell you before it comes that when it comes to pass, you may believe that I am he. So when you see these things and you're putting them together and you're in the word of God, you get to Psalm 41, you're realizing this happened. And it just goes along the lines of lending to another proof of who Jesus Christ is. These men would need that confidence as they're going out into a hostile world to preach the gospel. And they did do it. They went out. What could cause them to have the drive that they had? They believed with all of their heart who Jesus Christ was, it's because of this event and events like it. Another reason that they would not know until later on, we see, we'll see in a few weeks, months, whatever it'll be, John 16, 14 through 15, speaking of the Holy Spirit, Jesus says, he will glorify me for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore I said, he will take of mine, God's word, and declare it to you. The Holy Spirit gives us understanding in the word of God, and so the apostles, later on, they're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and it's not just this event or scripture, but so many more. Now, we'll just close with this look at, at Judas. I want to look at three main points. First is in John chapter 13, verse 21. When Jesus had said these things, 
he was troubled in his spirit and testified and said, Most surely I say to you, one of you will betray me. This is the announcement of the betrayer. If you remember, we have twice before, and probably don't remember, but maybe you know, twice before we've seen the troubled heart of the Lord. What is it that troubles the heart of the Lord? And we get a picture of his compassion in this. First was in John eleven thirty three, when Lazarus was dead, and he saw the mourning of the people and the impact that death, that shouldn't have even been in existence, but because of sin is, he sees the impact that death has upon people. It says, therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. Troubles the Lord's heart. And so, been to a funeral. We've been to a funeral for loved ones. We had Duke services here not too long ago. It troubles your heart. There's a shock when you first hear about it, but it troubles your heart, which only goes to pass as we're made in the image of God. It troubles the heart of God as well. And really what Jesus is seeing again, he's seeing the effect that death had upon mankind and he had a troubled heart. Verse 12, I'm sorry, chapter 12, verse 27, Jesus said, now my soul is troubled and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I came to this hour. Now, this is Christ now experiencing the effects of sin upon himself just speaking of the cross, him understanding the magnitude of what is about to occur upon the cross. You have Jesus Christ, absolute purity, who is going to take the defilement of sin upon him. That troubled the heart of the Lord. Matthew speaks of it in the Garden of Gethsemane as he was there, and he sweated to the degree that blood was coming. Pointed this out so many times, but this is going to be the very first time, this point in all of history, not just the history of this world, but history of eternity, that God is going to experience the effects of sin. That troubled the heart of the Lord. But see, it troubled the heart of the Lord, but in obedience he followed through and did take the sins of the world upon him. And now we have the third instance of a troubled heart of Jesus, and the troubling of his heart comes from the heart of one who betrays him. The one who betrays him, the one who sat with him for three years. You, you can have the greatest teacher in the world or who's ever existed, but they pale in comparison to Jesus Christ. Can you imagine going to seminary for three years and sitting under the Lord Jesus Christ and having that instruction and that teaching? Judas was there. He was there, and he still denied the Lord. That troubled the heart of the Lord. Ezekiel 33, verses 10 through 11. Therefore you, O son of man, say to the house of Israel, thus you say, if our transgressions and our sins lie upon us and we pine away in them, how can we live? Say to them, as I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from this way and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways, for why should you die, O house of Israel? And so that's the mindset of the Lord towards Judas. He knows what Judas is going to do, but it's still his heart that Judas would repent. So this is Jesus' heart towards the one who would three years gather the riches of heaven only to sell them for 30 pieces of silver. And as I said before, this is why Judas is referred to as son of perdition. He wasted all of that. 30 pieces of silver in actuality, it wasn't nothing. It 
was everything. It took his life. Not only his life, it took his eternity. Why is Jesus' heart troubled for the Judases of the world? Ever been troubled because your witness was rejected by a loved one? That really hurts. It really hurts, and it causes your heart to grieve. And so we need to understand and we need to know that the Lord, the Lord has love for all of mankind and desires that all would turn and come to a saving knowledge of him. We don't get to pick and choose. We just go out and deliver the word. And so when we start picking and choosing, then our flesh starts to enter into the, the equation. There is the word and then there is the word accentuated by this perfect example of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you see the hard-heartedness of Judas. There should be Judases all over the place because the name Judas means praise. How many Judases do you know? Does anybody know a Judas? I don't. Nobody. Yeah, that name reverberates throughout all of, all of, uh, all of eternity. Ultimately, what is happening here in Judas's life, it's Mark 3, 29, he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is subject to eternal condemnation. The blaspheme against the Holy Spirit is to reject the witness of the Lord Jesus Christ. For three years, again, Jesus poured his life into his man, only to have him rejected. Second contrast of the betrayer and the one that Jesus loves, verse 22, then the disciples looked at one another, perplexed about whom he spoke. Again, they're not getting understanding here. Again, they don't have the Holy Spirit. And it's as Jesus is telling them some plain things, and at this point, they're still not understanding. But verse 23, And when uh, and there was leaning upon Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Now, long story short, because we don't have much time, this is the Apostle John. Apostle John doesn't describe himself. I imagine he's been humbled by everything he's seen of the Lord. Why would he call himself the one Jesus loved? Because John was the only apostle to see Jesus Christ upon the cross. He looked into the eyes of love, and it had that profound effect on him. I do not believe that John believes he's the only one that Jesus loved. It's just that the magnitude of the love of Christ that he has for him. Verse 24, Simon Peter therefore motioned to him to ask who it was whom he spoke. Then leaning back on Jesus' breast, he said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it is he to whom I shall give a piece of bread when I have dipped it. Again, we know he's doing that in fulfillment of the scriptures. Now, when we were in Israel, just about every single meal we had, we had Jewish chips and salsa. Only their chips and salsa is really hummus and pita bread. Just about every meal you have hummus and pita bread. I would imagine that that's probably what they're having right here or something very similar. Verse 27, Now after the piece of bread, Satan entered him. Then Jesus said to him, What you do... Do quickly. So, really, what you need to see is another contrast here between the betrayer and the one that Jesus loves. And you need to see it in the picture that is represented here as Jesus and his disciples. It was very common to have a table that was maybe just a foot or so above the ground. A man, and it was, again, whether you were left handed or right handed, you would lay on your side and you would eat with your right hand. And so you would have the person on the right, he would be kind of with his head towards your chest, and then you would have your head in the area of the chest of the person next to you, give or take. You wouldn't have their stinky feet right in your face, even though they've just been washed. Okay, so you have that picture. You've got the Lord. 
And, and John, why would John's head, it's kind of a funny thing, a man, you know, men sitting there and a guy's got his head on somebody's chest. Well, John was probably, he probably got a little closer. He was affectionate and, and all. And so he was there and it'd be just a natural thing for his head to be close to the chest of the or to the chest of the Lord. And so he could just look up at the Lord and speak to him. That's probably why Peter, Peter finally, not wanting to make a fool of himself, John, ask him who it is. And so John's right there. And so it's very convenient for John to, uh, to ask him. So John considers himself to be the one whom Jesus loves. Well, he's right there at the heart of Christ. He's right there. And again, it's just such a rich picture. But then you've got the picture of Judas. Judas is, is the man who is on his left. And although it's still a position of honor, it's almost as if Judas is pulling away. See, the Lord, the person who's pulling away, the Lord's got his head upon the heart. So he's seeking the heart of the one who is pulling away. But the one who is pulling away, at least in this case, he's on his way out. He's on his way to outer darkness. And then we see the fate of the betrayer. Verse 28, but no one at the table knew for what reason he had said this to him. For some thought, because Judas had the money box that, Judas, uh, that Jesus said to him, buy those things which we need for the feast, so that he should give something to the poor. Verse 30, having received the piece of bread, he went out immediately, and it was night. The fate of, betra- of the betrayer. Jesus, Jesus placed Judas in a position of honor. Judas rejected that position for another. In John chapter thir- or 3, verse 19, we saw this concept. And this is the condemnation. You see fulfillment of it right here. And the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. It's all right there in Judas. And what's the evil deed? Obviously the rejection of Christ, but exalting himself. He's going out to exalt himself. And what's going to happen? He's going to end up in Sheol. So this closing picture, Judas going away from Jesus into outer darkness, seeking things according to his own way. And what is he headed to? He's headed to death. And he's headed for eternal condemnation. Proverbs fourteen twelve: There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end is the way of death. And suffer being entered, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. And I just want to close with this one main thought. The devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot. Now, is it kind of a Flip Wilson theology here? You know, you old people probably know what I'm talking about, but the devil made me do it kind of a thing. I mean, it says that the devil put it into his heart, Simon's son, to betray him. The problem is you can open your heart to the Lord and the Lord will come in. You can open your heart to the devil, the deceiver, and the devil will come in. The choice is yours. Everybody here will make that choice. There is going to be one or the other who dwells within the hearts of mankind. God gives us a choice, and everybody must choose well because there's consequences for their choices. Father, once again, we just thank you, Lord, that you have given us just such rich scripture, these rich things, Lord, that, that Father, just show us the truthfulness of, of who you are and and the reality of your gospel. And Father, we see it even in our society today. Those who lift themselves up sooner or later have a fall, and great is their fall. But Lord, throughout history, those who have humbled themselves before you, Father, those people have been lifted up. And so, Father, I pray that we would consider all of these things, 
that we would know these things, but Father, I pray that we would do these things. And so, Father, as we have lifted our, or opened our heart before you, we thank you that you have come in, and I pray, Father, that we would live a life that reflects you dwelling with inside of us. And so, Lord, we just thank you again for tonight. We just pray that you would bless us as we go about our, our days until we gather together, gather together again on Sunday morning, that, Father, you would truly just make our way straight, and that, Father, we would have a heart to glorify you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you all stand, please? Women's Retreat has started taking uh, sign-ups. I think we only have 29 places left. Is that what it was? Yep, 29 places left. So, ladies, you best get signed up. Um, high school retreat, I think Sean made the announcement. We were able to bring the price down. I think it was 130 135 down to 90 what did I say, 90, 96 And so that was, that was from the, uh, um, think, yeah, why don't you tell them? <laughs> that was from the bake sale that we had. Um, so it was a blessing. That we, I mean, we, we raised over $900, and so we were able to, to, to bring... <laughs> And then, you know what, I'm just going to go because I'm messing everything up. God bless you guys.